Welcome to the Cell Culture Dish Podcast, a look toward the future of 3D cell culture. I'm Brandy Sargent, editor of the Cell Culture Dish. In today's podcast, we're conducting a panel discussion with experts from the Cell Culture Dish and Corning Life Sciences to discuss the future of 3D cell culture. We'll be talking about spheroid and organoid advancements and the areas that will be most impacted by 3D culture systems in the future. I'm excited to introduce our distinguished panel members, all with extensive experience in 3D cell culture. Joining me today is Elizabeth Abraham, Senior Product Manager, Corning Life Sciences. Audrey Bergeron, Application Scientist, Corning Life Sciences. Debbie King, Scientific Technical Writer, Cell Culture Dish. And Hilary Sherman, Senior Scientist with Corning Life Sciences. Thank you all for joining me. Debbie, would you be able to provide us with an introduction about the evolution of 3D cell culture and also a brief overview of the systems? Sure, I'd love to. I think that everyone is aware that 2D cell culture has been used by researchers since the early 1900s, but we know that growing cells on a planar surface has lots of drawbacks. Cells grown in two-dimensional space, they don't behave like cells found in vivo. They lack critical cell-to-cell and cell-to-matrix interactions that drive their form, function, and response to external stimuli. This really limits their prognostic capabilities. More recently, 3D cell culture techniques have become popular because the cell morphology, interactions, and tissue-specific architecture more closely resembles that of native tissues. Spheroids, organoids, and more complex 3D tissue systems, such as organ on a chip, are examples of 3D cell culture used by researchers to model native tissues. Spheroids are simple, widely used 3D models that form based on the tendency of adherent cells to aggregate and can be generated from many different cell types. The multicellular tumor spheroid model is widely used in cancer research. Organoids are more complex 3D aggregates, more like miniaturized and simplified versions of an organ. They can be tissue or stem cell derived with the ability to self-organize spatially and demonstrate organ-specific functionality. More complex yet are technologies like organ on a chip. This is a multi-channel 3D microfluidic cell culture system that mimics whole organ function with artificial vasculature. Cells are cultured in continuously perfused micrometer-sized chambers, which recreate physiologically relevant levels of fluidic shear force to allow for gas, nutrient, and waste transport to and from the cells, mimicking in vivo vascularized tissues. Audrey, could you tell us how spheroids are impacting cancer research and what you see as future applications for this technology? Yes, so spheroids can be an improved model for cancer in the lab compared to standard 2D cell culture. Um, As Debbie explained, when cells are grown in 2D, they don't have the same cell-to-cell interactions or cell-to-matrix interactions as they would in the body. So, for example, when cancer cells are cultured as spheroids, they're better able to maintain the shape, polarity, genotype, and the heterogeneity that's observed in vivo. This allows researchers to create models that are much more reflective of what's going on in the body. So, for example, if you think about drug penetration into a 2D monolayer of cells, it's completely different from drug penetration into a solid tumor. In a 2D monolayer, each cell is exposed to the same concentration of drugs, whereas in a spheroid, like a solid tumor, there are gradients of drug exposure. 
So more and more we are seeing researchers do this in the lab and they're actually starting to move away from cancer cell lines and move more towards specialized cancer models such as patient-derived models. And the hope here is to find the appropriate therapies for each individual patient specific to them. Great. Thank you for that. And then I wanted to move on and ask, um, Debbie, I'll start with you. If you could tell us what tools and technologies are needed to fully realize the potential of spheroid culture models. So I think one of the key parameters to achieving success with spheroid cultures is being able to control the size of the spheroids that are generated. It can be very difficult to get consistent reproducible results if your starting spheroid culture is not uniform in size and shape. There's many cell culture tools available on the market now, such as the ultra-low attachment plates, that can really facilitate the formation of uniformly sized spheroids for a wide range of research applications from low to high throughput modalities. So this is Hillary, and I just want to expand a little bit upon what, what Debbie said. There always needs to be a bit of balance between throughput and complexity in terms of creating these models for research. And, and that's why we have so many options available for 3D cell culture. So as Debbie mentioned, you have the low attachment plates, such as the spheroid microplate and the oplasia plates, which are great for creating high throughput 3D models, but they often can lack some complexity. Then you have organo-chip and hydrogel-based models, which have a lot more biological complexity, but they typically are not as high throughput. Thank you for that answer. I think that's really a great way to summarize the tools and technologies around spheroid culture models. Um, I wanted to switch gears a little bit here and switch to talking more about organoids. And I'm really interested to hear about uh, what you think are the most interesting achievements so far in organoids. And Elizabeth, if we could start with you, that would be great. Sure. In my opinion, the single most interesting achievement for the use of organoids has been for personalized medicine. Since organoids are generated from stem cells, they possess a unique ability to self-renew. Simplistically, to grow organoids, one needs three major components. The stem cells from the patient biopsy or pluripotent stem cells, and ECM to provide the scaffold to grow these organoids, and the media containing the required growth factors. So the, an example of this workflow would be, cells would be isolated from a patient biopsy mixed with the ECM, uh, corning matrigel matrix, for example, that provides the physiological milieu and the scaffold to grow these organoids. Once you have sufficient numbers of these organoids, they can be then treated with specific combinations of drug, and then identify which combination works best for that specific patient tumor. Thus, we're able to personalize the treatment for the patient. Taking this idea even further is the ability to mix and match CRISPR with organoid technologies where one can edit the gene within the cell, then use those cells to grow organoids and see if the defect has been corrected. Thus, organoids serve as a converging platform for gene editing, as well as personalized medicine, 3D imaging, and bioengineering. Therapeutic potential of organoids in modeling human disease and being able to test different drug candidates is, in my opinion, one of the most interesting achievements thus far. 
This is Audrey. I'd also like to add that there's been some fascinating work done around connecting organoid systems. So there was a recent report of researchers at the Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center where they developed the world's first connected tri-organoid system. And this is the human hepatobiliary pancreatic organoid. This is remarkable because it moves the field from individual organoid research to connected organoid systems, which more physiologically mimic the interplay between human tissues. There have also been challenges to date with current liver organoid approaches failing to adequately recapitulate bile duct connectivity, which is important for liver development and function. The authors describe optimized methods to create the multi-organ model from differentiated human pluripotent stem cells using the formation of early-stage anterior and posterior gut spheroids, which fuse together and develop into hepatic, biliary, and pancreatic structures. This is exciting because it's more dynamic and an integrated approach for these in vitro systems in order to model and study organogenesis for use in research and diagnostic applications and for applications in precision medicine and transplantation studies. Hi, this is Debbie. I just wanted to give a more specific example of an achievement that I find very exciting in the field of organoids, and that's the generation of cerebral organoids. These mini brains, which are derived from pluripotent stem cells, can self-organize into functioning neural structures. As we know, neural cells are notoriously difficult to culture in vitro, and obtaining sufficient cells for experiments can be challenging. So cerebral organoids offers up a way to study neural tissues, replicating aspects of human brain development and disease that was once impossible to observe in the lab. As Elizabeth mentioned, scientists have used them to make discoveries about neurological disorders like schizophrenia and autism with patient-derived organoids. These organoids have also been useful to model fetal brain microencephaly caused by Zika virus infection. Thank you for those. I think those are all really interesting, and I think it's what makes uh, working with organoids and the possibility of organoids so exciting. And part of that, of course, is technologies to support organoid culture. So I want to ask a similar question as what I did with the steroid uh, culture question, and that is, Elizabeth, I'll start with you. What technologies played key roles in helping scientists overcome the biggest challenges in using organoids? So there are three things that actually come to mind. One is the the scaffold uh, that is required to grow organoids. In this case, uh, Corning Matrigel Matrix provides both the structural and physiological milieu that is needed to grow organoids. The versatility of this matrix is that it allows for bidirectional interaction of the organoid and the matrix by not only providing the structure, but it's also amenable to be modulated by the proteases, such as matrix metalloproteases, by the cells within the organoid to allow uh, for the matrix to be modulated. Corning uh, now offers an optimized version of this matrigel for organoid culture. Another hallmark identified for organoid technology is the central role of the wind pathway and how crucial it is for the the organoid technology. Thirdly, 3D imaging is the ability to see the phenotypic and morphologic changes that occur live inside the 3D structure by time-lapse imaging across thin sections of the 3D structure over extended time periods. 
those are the three in my mind that helped this technology thus far. This is Audrey. I'd also like to add that one of the biggest challenges we've seen is a lack of vasculature in organoid systems, and that can hinder the ability for the organoids to have in vivo-like expansion and can limit their size. So there are technologies that have been developed and there are currently ones continuing to be developed that help to improve long-term culture conditions by helping to deliver nutrients and gas exchange to the developing organoids. So such systems include things like spinner flasks and bioreactors, because those increase flow in the culture system, as well as microfluidics-based platforms that can help give efficient nutrient diffusion, oxygenation, waste metabolite removal. Um, and a key example of this has been seen in cerebral organoids. It's also interesting to see the evolution of permeable membranes, such as the Corning Transwell and other semi-permeable membrane materials being integrated into perfusion systems, as well as 3D bioprinting techniques to improve nourishment to the organoid during maturation. These technologies have all helped to increase the lifespan and utility of organoids to the scale of months. Another challenge in high-throughput pharmacological and toxicity screening applications we've seen has been the formation of reproducible single organoids per well. And such products like um, using ultra-low attachment service technology, such as um, corning spheroid microplate, when that's coupled with biological hydrogel, such as matrogel, this has provided the ability to generate uniformly sized organoids that are compatible with HTF applications. I think it's great to look at the tools and technologies that, you know, have sort of got us where we are at with organoid culture. And I'm interested also in about how organoids um, progress from here. So my next question is really going to require everyone to look into their crystal ball. I'm really interested about what achievements from using organoids do you envision in the next five years? And Elizabeth, I'd like to start with you. Sure. So more of uh, the use of organoids for personalized medicine is, uh, is, I think this is still emerging. So at, at some point, we'd have a biobank of genetic mutational signatures of the various cancers. So five years down the, the line, if a patient appears, we genotype the cancer, and then we uh, were able to draw from the biobank the information from the biobank as what treatment would best suit his or her uh, cancer. So more of the same in terms of personalized uh, medicine. I also think that protocols and models will continue to be optimized to generate data and improve clinical predictivity of organoid models. This could potentially mitigate the need for animal models during the drug development. The other uh, big area for use of organoids would be to fulfill the need as organ donors uh, that can be used in patients waiting transplantation. But in this case, we need more vascularized multi-organ organoid systems, as Audrey had mentioned earlier. Uh, those would be needed to continue to develop and advance both precision medicine as well as the use of organoids for transplantation. This is Debbie here, and I just wanted to touch on what Elizabeth just mentioned about personalized medicine. I think another aspect that researchers will be looking into is to combine genome editing technologies like CRISPR-Cas9, in particular with patient cell-derived organoids. So for monogenic diseases, this could open up the possibility of performing gene correction through gene editing 
prior to autologous transplantation as a curative solution. It's already been shown that the defective CTFR gene in cystic fibrosis patient-derived organoids can be corrected using CRISPR-Cas9 homologous recombination. To follow along, I think it would be important to also talk about then what technologies we need to be able to achieve those advancements that we just talked about. Hillary, would you share that with us? Sure. I think more defined reagents such as ECMs and and media components are going to help to make organoid culture easier and more consistent. Right now, organoid culture is it's a challenge, and um, there's a lot of variability from culture to culture. So anything to help mitigate that is going to be very helpful. Also, I think um, better bioprinters with higher resolution for printing, for being able to generate or, or print more complex 3D structures, is going to significantly help with these types of achievements. This is Debbie here. Um, I just wanted to add that I think that automation platforms will allow for more precise control of culture conditions and enable high throughput screening in drug discovery workflows. Also, high content imaging technology will be key to capturing morphological and gene expression data to study organoids. For example, live cell imaging within the organoids will allow us to see early events in human development in real time. And I think, as Hillary mentioned, I think the field overall would benefit from standardization in protocols and reagents such as the type of culture media, the type of extracellular matrix to use, and even the best cell sources so that comparisons can be made between labs to really help advance the research forward. Thank you all so much. I think this has been really, really interesting, and I really appreciate your time today. I think that 3D cell culture is just such an important tool for us as we advance medicine, and I think that it's great to hear the panel's thoughts on these various questions. I just would like to close today by asking everybody, if they could, to weigh in on the question of what areas of research do you think will be most impacted by 3D culture systems? And Audrey, we could start with you if you don't mind sharing? Oh, yeah. So um, we've already talked about this quite a bit today, but I think cancer research is an area where we'll see this. Because overall, having the ability to better model cancer in the lab in vitro will help researchers to better understand cancer biology and as well give some potential for personalized medicine. This is Hillary. I'll give my opinion here. I think regenerative medicine is going to be hugely impacted by 3D cell culture. This is the hope that someday we could grow or 3D print organs um, instead of waiting for donors. Hi, this is Debbie here. I think 3D cell culture systems will continue to have a large impact on developmental biology. Right now, to study human development, this has largely been limited to observational studies on pre-implantation embryos and from culturing progenitor cells isolated from fetal tissue. The development of organoid models from induced pluripotent stem cells opens up the ability for us to study human embryonic development in a way we couldn't do before. And organ-specific progenitors generated from induced pluripotent stem cells will give us a wealth of insight into the morphogenesis of different organ systems, which will be invaluable for our understanding of human diseases and dovetail nicely with personalized and regenerative medicine That's great. Thank you all so much for your time today and for your insight into 3D culture systems. Um, I really appreciate it. 
you for joining us for this edition of the Cell Culture Dish podcast. To learn more about this and other stem cell and biomanufacturing related topics, please visit us at www.cellculturedish.com or for downstream biomanufacturing topics, www.downstreamcolumn.com.